RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Today. I'm glad it's time for us to get started. Uh, my name is Lindsay Slocum. I'm one of the pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian, and I am with Jeff Myers, our senior pastor, who has been preaching on the wisdom literature, which is fascinating to me. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Um, the sermon series, I believe it's called Wise Up, right? And so we've been looking at Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and oh, are we done with the sermon series now? No, there'll be one more sermon. Dan Christ will be bringing the message this Sunday. And is it on, is it on Ecclesiastes as well? Yeah, it's on an esoteric text, I think, from Ecclesiastes 5. And he's he's really worked up about that I gave him the, the, a really hard passage. And I told him <laughs> to, like, stop his belly aching. You know, that's the kind of pastoral care you get around here. <laughs> well, bless his heart. He doesn't know yet because he's still too new. He's only been here for a year and a half. He doesn't know that that's like some kind of game you play. It's, it's you're like, here's the hard passage. Let's give it to the associates. <laughs> Martin Luther said you should always preach on the difficult passage because when you preach on it, you help people understand something that they didn't understand already. So actually, I'm actually setting it up for you to look brilliant, for you to look <laughs> so insightful. I see. I see. Uh, it takes a lot more work for some of us to look brilliant than others, though. It's, <laughs> it's just really hard. But anyway, that's okay. I um, I do. I have there because I think that you gave me one time you gave me the behind, the heading of John the Baptist. And I was like, what in the world? But it turned out to be this really fascinating passage and I actually really enjoyed it. So I'm sure this time next week, Dan's going to be talking about how interested the passage was, and he was glad he had this opportunity to wrestle with it. So that'd be great. <laughs> it's a, it's an, actually an interesting, it's a really interesting passage that it's kind of almost a parable in wisdom literature and in my reading. And I think you can, I think there's some interesting ways to apply it. And then also as you look at Jesus's use of parables and obviously was mm -hmm. well-versed, I think, in wisdom literature. Um, absolutely you know what the this passage that we used yesterday a time for this a time for that you see jesus comment on those various things a time yeah. um you know a, a time to be born and a time to die jesus comments on these things right and i think that's his reflection on the wisdom literature and then we see the culmination of of wisdom in christ that would be my reading yeah yeah well and you know it's interesting too just to even kind of even broaden what you're saying, the Wednesday morning Bible study I'm in, we've been studying first Peter and, you know, Peter is, uh, was good friends with Paul. So there's lots of some, there are a lot of references to one another and we are seeing over and over again, references back to the wisdom literature. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, the, yeah, the wisdom literature is so 
informative just to how just kind of giants of, of faith and Jesus, um, that how they even were understanding faith and reflecting on, on what it looks, because it's so much about what it looks like to live out a faithful life in the world. And that's what they're trying to teach us. So yeah, it's super fascinating. Absolutely. Okay, so on that note, then the very first thing I wanted to ask is yesterday, as you were preaching, I was just marveling over the fact that you put three Sundays of Ecclesiastes on the preaching schedule. And I'm wondering if you're the first pastor to ever put that many Sundays in a row on the book of Ecclesiastes in the, in the um, sermon cycles. And so I just, I'm super curious, have you spent time in Ecclesiastes before? Is this new for you? Do you feel like you're learning lots of new things or it's something that you already were really interested in? And I just find the whole thing fascinating. Yeah, so I um, I took a class on wisdom literature my last semester at uh, in seminary. So that was really formative for me. We spent quite a bit of time in Ecclesiastes. Mm-hmm. And I think my, I've been always a fan of a lot of existentialist um, philosophers and theologians. So guys like Kierkegaard, um, Camus, um, Dostoevsky, and they often really loved Ecclesiastes. Actually, a lot of novelists and writers have always loved Ecclesiastes um, because it does get at kind of some of the absurdity of life um, and kind of the tough truths that we'd rather avoid. And so, yeah, so then um, as I like to do, I do a Tuesday morning men's Bible study at 7 a.m. every Tuesday, and we studied Ecclesiastes a few months ago and I like to I kind of like prime the pump for a future sermon series with those guys and see how it works what resonates what doesn't take a lot of good notes and then kind of mix it all up together and then hopefully something will come out that uh can bless people uh, a broader uh, congregation but so I've been thinking about these things for a long time yeah oh that's interesting I didn't know you did it with the, the Tuesday study that's very cool did have it did they like it did they enjoy Ecclesiastes I think, you know, we do it, um, you know, we just go straight through a book, verse by verse, um, expository style. And so I think they found it kind of bleak. I think some of them, yeah. really it. I think is, I mean, it's, it's kind of bleak. And, you know, it's like, well, I'd rather, you know, talk about rainbows and clouds and, you know, pumpkins, but it's, it's much, it, it kind of hits you between the eyes. And, mm-hmm. and I think if you can do it right, there's kind of a, a dark sense of humor to it all or, or black comedy if you will that um that i think you can kind of laugh at the absurdity and um and i think that's helpful helpful to do so it's probably like for people like who are fans of like woody allen movies and things like <laughs> that you know that, that think yeah. it's funny we were um at the beginning of 2020 we were uh, the wednesday bible study we were working our way through job and so when the world kind of quote shut down we were like that's enough like we can't handle the bleakness coming from scripture and real life we we just need to pick one so yeah yeah. so maybe now that things uh feel a little more steady under our feet maybe we can go back and handle some of these uh more obscure old testament stuff yeah i agree there's there's only so much we can take, but actually bring up Job. And I think, and I got into this a little yesterday in the sermon, but this is like, I think Job in many ways is a response to like Proverbs wisdom literature that, mm-hmm. uh, and some of Ecclesiastes that like, if I, if I live the righteous life, things will go well for me. If I'm wise, things will go well. Well, what we see in Job is you see this, the ultimate God fear 
um, worshiper, wise man in Job, and things go disastrously wrong for him. And I think mm -hmm. that that's always, you have to read these books in conversation with one another because they speak um, to the duality of life and the paradox that life often catches us in. And it's important to live wisely, but don't assume that just because you're wise, everything's going to go right for you. Yeah. You, yeah. Still, you can still live a wise life, right? Right. So, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I like that. I've never thought about have, keeping those two in conversation with one another because then I would offer the Proverbs to saying, in the midst of when these things are not going right, that it's even more important to be wise and thoughtful about how you're journeying forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's super interesting. I thought about that. I'm gonna spend some time on that. Okay, but that also totally links up to where, okay, this passage that you read yesterday is such a poignant passage. And um, I was thinking about so many of the times that I've heard this passage. And even as you were just reading it at the beginning, all of these moments are coming back to me times when it, we had read it for various things. Because, you know, we hear it a lot at funerals or just in really tough times when we're thinking about this as a particularly tough time we're in. And, and so then you have Ecclesiastes saying there's a time for everything. And I wanted to go back to that very first verse because it says, for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And I, I wanted to think through, is the writer of Ecclesiastes then affirming that there is a time or just simply saying this is the truth of life? You know what I mean? Like that there, all of these things are supposed to happen or just simply saying that they do. And this is because the, the, for me, there's a little bit of a tension if we're saying that they're supposed to happen, that we're supposed to have all of these times, but the fact of the matter is a lot of them do. So I just am wondering if we go back to that verse, either what do you want to do with it or how does the writer, what's the writer doing there? Yeah, that's a great question, Lindsay. So I would make a distinction here from two different senses, and usually we want to moralize the Bible, right? So, mm -hmm. so, so, so there's a way to understand a statement you can say objectively, or uh, you can understand it normatively, okay? So you would say something is this way or normatively it ought to be this way, okay? And this is, if you go back in the history of philosophy, this is called the is-ought problem. And this goes to David Hume and it's way uh, to understand. And he would say that it's an improper inference to take an ought from an is. Just because something is this way does not mean it ought to be that way. Mm. okay so um and we go through history and why this is a problem and people where think is um and ought many people are trying to turn is into oughts because it's a very it's a way to retain power it's a way to um uh prevent change um why do we do it this way because we've always done it that way we ought to always do it this way well maybe we could do it different Okay. And so, but I read uh, Ecclesiastes 1 as, or sorry, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 as being an is or an objective statement that things are, things are this way, not that they ought to be in a perfect world, but they just are. And if you live against the grain or um, if you live against the created order, the way it is, it's going to be difficult for you, right? So if you're trying to plant um, your crops in the middle of summer, well, don't be surprised when you don't have much of a harvest 
in the spring or if you're trying to plant in whatever you know against out of season don't expect mm. you to have a, a flourishing crop and i think and if you live as if um as if you'll never die well that's not gonna be very smart like you might want to get think about life insurance right you might want to <laughs> uh, make make practical decisions that you're not going to live forever you might end of care insurance um you might want to you might want to tell the people you love tell them today that you love them and don't just assume that you're going to be here tomorrow mm. that's a wise way of living um and i think in i think with these opposites or oppositions that ecclesiastes 3 lays out it's just saying this is kind of true about the created order and the and the way of life and so given given this um given this the waves of human existence back and forth how do you live wisely in the midst of those yeah and it's highlighting um those and i don't think and at one point when i was preparing i was asking myself i was like is this list exhaustive and i was mm -hmm. like i don't think it is i think he could have gone on i think he's just He's like looking out the world, a time to die or a time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, a time to pluck up what's planted. Um, he could have done, um, it's a time to lift weights, you know, and it's a time to take a day off. It, it's, um, it's a time for a haircut, you know, and it's a time not to get your haircut. You know, you, there's a lot of things, um, there's these opposites. And mm -hmm. I think he's, it's almost a dialectic going back and forth and in going back and forth between opposite poles you somehow come to realize what you ought to do in a certain situation to live wisely oh you just brought that around I, I, yeah i i wasn't expecting that last sentence but yeah i i do think that that's what he's doing it's setting up yes in all of these things i i guess part of it is i was thinking again as you were reading yesterday and even so I'm kind of in my brain navigating this concept of time and that, there, that there's a time for everything. I do think he's kind of naming the fact that there are these seasons in life, um, which by the way, I don't necessarily believe that they are mutually exclusive of one another, right? Even though he's giving us these kind of polar opposites, I don't think that means they can't both exist in your life at the very same time. Um, but I also was wondering, not that Ecclesiastes is, you know, constantly trying to give us a source of comfort by any means. Um, but I, I was just thinking yesterday that there is something about both, I think both something both comforting and troubling about this idea of there being a season, that there are different seasons that we go through and those are gonna include the, the seasons that are better and the seasons that are harder. And, you know, we've been talking a lot around here because unfortunately there have been, it feels like we've gone through a lot of season where there's a lot of loss and people are hurting. And so I, I guess I was just thinking then is this passage a sense of comfort in the sense that it's like, well, this is just a season. This isn't what defines your whole life. But then at the same time, it's like also telling us this will be, there is going to be times in your life where there is loss. And so I don't know, it, it there's something, and I guess, I guess again, the comforting and um, non-comfort can exist at the same time, the same way these other polar opposites are. But we definitely use this passage, like I said, at funerals and other pastoral moments 
Um, and I guess there's a sense of comfort in that. Yeah. Maybe. And I think it's, it's realistic. And sometimes that's, yeah. but one, we have to accept the reality that, of that we are finite creatures, you know, and trying to be like the gods is not, um, is not for humans to, to try to do. And you, you can try to fly too close to the sun, but you're going to get burned. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking when you were just talking, I was like, you know, we have a staff of almost 50 people. And I remember, you know, at the times we've had conversations, like, you know, if we just finally get the perfect staff together, it's going to be, everything's going to be fine. It'll every, we'll finally we'll have arrived and everything will be fine. It'll be perfect. But then we quickly realized it's like, no, there's always staff turnover. Things can be great culturally, but people, their spouses get a job somewhere else. They move into a different time of life. We have, we will always be dealing with constant flux and change. Mm -hmm. And to try to live as if success or uh, happiness or flourishing is only going to happen when we're all here, when we have a full staff and it's perfect and everything's working well. Well, that's not realistic. That's where we get into right. this laity thing that it's, right. that it's, it's accepting that fact that change is constant. People are going to go and people are going to come. And I remember when I was doing young adult ministry for years, it was really frustrating because, I mean, one of the great things about um, young adult and college ministry is your congregation's always changing. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the bad things is your congregation's always changing. Yeah. And I quickly had to realize, I said, you know, I just, I just kept telling folks, I was like, you know, we're going to celebrate when you come and we're going to celebrate you when you leave because we understand that you're taking jobs other places. You got a postdoc fellowship. You get, you know, but but we also have new people to welcome in and they're gonna bring their gifts. And we wanna celebrate the time they're there, but to act as if our expectation is they're gonna be with us forever is unrealistic. And it will not lead to us to the blessed or happy or flourishing life um, that I think we're, that God intends for us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. It's why, I mean, that's wise. You're right. I think that that's the living out of wisdom. I just think that we, the change and, and when things feel unsteady, that that's very difficult, which I guess is all why we work so hard to develop the discipline of wisdom <laughs> so that we can figure out how to navigate that unsteady, which is your point. I want to go back. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just no, going to say also, and we, wisdom is preparing for that reality so that when it does strike, it's not like, oh, I had no idea, but it's like, oh, I knew it was coming. You know, it's like when yeah. you get that, when that person knocks on your door and says, I need to talk to you. And they're like, uh, I've, you know, I'm going to, I've accepted a new job somewhere else. And you're like, no, I don't want you to leave. Well, yeah, we don't want you to leave, but this is part of, we, we want to train people up and build them up and send them out um, for new tasks, for new callings. And so I think being prepared for that is okay. It's not, um, but I think that's part of wisdom is preparing for that. Yes. Yes, I would certainly say um, preparing for it and, and, and making room for that possibility, but that doesn't necessarily mean being wise is that when that person walks into my office, I'm celebrating that they're moving either. Like they're still gonna be, yeah. So when you, okay, so when you were talking yesterday, you spent a lot of time kind of on the same note, you were talking a lot about not being distracted by the past or the future, just kind of thinking about where are you today? What does it look like to navigate through today? And so I, the only thing is, and you kind of dealt with this later in the sermon, but I just want to think more about this idea of the past 
And while it is not helpful to live in the past, I totally agree with you there when you were talking about the grudges and the hurts um, that we need to let go of those things. On one hand, I totally agree with that. But on the other hand, I think we have to be realistic about it still hurts. Like that still left scar tissue. You know what I mean? Those wounds still have scar tissue in them. And they, what, you know, the big lesson we learned from the Lion King cartoon movie, cause he gets whacked on the head and he's like, well, that's in the past. Well, it still hurts. Like, so I think that we still have to be really, and I think that informs even how we're handling things today and moving forward. So I, I agree. We can't live in the past, but I think that we can't ignore the past either. Yeah, so I think, so good distinction I heard um, one time is from um, Bruce Springsteen in his autobiography and memoir, Born to Run. And he, he also included this if folks have seen Springsteen on Broadway, his Broadway show, where he, he kind of goes through the autobiography of a lot of his songs and he performs them and whatnot in his one-man show. And he talks about the difference between having ghosts and having ancestors, having oh. ghosts and ancestors and this and if you read it the auto his memoir it's basically he goes through psychotherapy to deal with his relationship with his father as a young boy okay and really difficult relationship and it caused him later on to live in a way that was self self-harming it wasn't leading to his flourishing he was making bad decisions and he had to go into therapy okay and he says, you have to turn your ghosts into ancestors, okay? Because ghosts mm-hmm. haunt you, okay? They, 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 they're trying to draw you back. They're trying to draw you down, okay? But ancestors are cheering you on. And they're also, they help you understand who you are, but you also get to take responsibility of who you are to move forward in your life, okay? mm-hmm. And so when I was talking about the past and the future, I... And I found it was kind of difficult for me to find the right language, but it's almost like of being chained to the past or trapped in the past, mm. or it's this, it's this imagery of bondage, of inability to move forward. It's um, thinking about the, uh, the girlfriend who did me wrong that I can't let go of. It's um, you know, the, the parent that, that um, didn't love me as I needed to be loved. And that is wrong. And I'm not saying, and that stuff is bad, but it happened. And, you know, Southerners, there's a great uh, saying, you know, also great REM song, uh, living well is the best revenge, right? That um, how, do we, how do we take those experiences from the past and turn them from ghosts into ancestors to move forward in our lives? Yeah, that is, I, I, that's very good. And I, I, what I really like about that is that there's, he's not saying, and you're not saying like, you just, like you say, you know, you're not moving, you're not just leaving it and not dealing with it, but that there's a, there's process and there's work in dealing with it and, the, you know, going to the therapy or doing whatever needs to be done to kind of acknowledge it, whatever you need to do in order to move on so that they become ancestors. And it's not just a matter of, I'm just going to ignore it and, and move on from there. And I think that, yeah. And I think learning from that even that process of working through that is part of what creates the wisdom to think about what it looks like to move forward in a really healthy way and um, in a wise way. Yeah. Um, and then as far as, I mean, when we think about looking to the future, I don't know, um, you know, it's the same. I think it's the same thing is this idea of, 
you know, setting goals and being thoughtful about how to move forward, but not being distracted by that, which you totally got into in the end. And I loved to total side note, but I loved at the end, you were talking about that Jesus he had all these different things, right? That he, there were times that he was going to the party and times that he couldn't get to the solitude fast enough. And I thought that that was such a really helpful visual for this embodiment of wisdom is figuring out how we're navigating all of these different seasons that they are, they just are. And, and so in order for us to be faithful and wise, we've got to, we're getting, it, it, it will look different in different places. And we even see that in Jesus. And um, I thought that was a really lovely way to continue to illustrate what what we're seeing here in Ecclesiastes as well and I think I I I don't know if this is how I was raised or just how I perceived it at the time but I felt like there was a way to the Christian life that was just supposed to be obvious what I was supposed to do all the time Mm. I just I needed to strive hard try harder right and but then I just if you pay attention to the life of Christ you're like the there's not, I mean, there's a consistency towards love. And that's what I said. But other than that, I mean, it's kind of all over the place. And what counts yeah. love in one point is does not count a love at the other. And so I think um, that's I just a helpful reminder that this, the Christian life is difficult. It's challenging. And it takes all that we have to bear to bring together. We need to do it with family and community and other folks. Um, and so just to be honest with that, and then as we're raising kids and doing moral formation that we begin, I can't remember if it was with you or with Dan or somebody else I was talking to you, but in a previous episode, but we talked about, you know, moral formation starts out with black and whites early on. Yes and no, do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as you get older, you see that there's more gray area. There's on the outsides there are black and whites, but then there's this gray area. Mm-hmm. And knowing what, um, you know, the, never go over the speed limit. Okay. So you never go over the speed. Well, if you've got somebody, you know, who's, you know, who's having a heart attack in, you know, your back seat, well, you maybe need to go over the speed limit <laughs> to get them. But they, these are the kinds of gray areas that we have to wrestle with um, that take wisdom. Do you think, okay, as you're talking, I'm wondering, you know, one of the big conversations that are happening right now um, is around this idea of intent versus impact. You know, we do something and and the intention was good, but it didn't have such a great impact. Do you think that that's related here that that this idea of, you know, how do we know how to act in a certain situation and being wise in it is measuring what the impact is going to be maybe versus what we are intent is do you think that that's related at all i just that just occurred to me when you were talking well uh if if i understand you correctly i mean there so i mean in ethics there's several different kinds of ways that you assess and try to help people act ethically and morally in the world all right you have Mm -hmm. um rule-based uh kind of ethics so this would be the gold rule do unto others as you would have them do to you or like Kant's categorical imperative, okay, those kinds of things. Then you have um, what's called virtue ethics or habits that you try to cultivate um, courage, practical wisdom, temperance, fortitude, okay, faith, hope, and love, okay. That, and so you try to create people who are virtuous that will know what to do, what is required of them in the moment, okay. And then you also have kind of rule, um, 
like law-based or, or, or I should say goal-based um, uh, kind of ethics. So to this is like utilitarianism to create the most happiness for the greatest number of people. Okay. And that's, that's one approach to these questions. And then you have kind of like a natural law or legal or rule kind of based um, kind of way to behave that a human rights law in many ways is in, uh, the, in the natural rights tradition that people, human beings ought not to be treated like this. They ought to be treated like that um, mm -hmm. because in virtue of who they are, okay? And so th those are the kind of the four major traditions and people argue all the time about which one's more important. And I'm more of a pragmatist in the sense of bringing all four of those kind of traditions together and helping them understand in different times which to apply and how they can help me and other people act ethically um, and morally in the world. Um, but that takes, again, that takes wisdom. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, and I guess I'm still kind of wrestling with this idea of everything, you know, that the different things need to happen in different times. And so what does it look like to be thoughtful and discerning as to how we're going to decide which thing needs to go here in order for us to be wise? But, um, and at the same time, like you said, always serving the ends of love, both to God and others. And so just thinking that at the end, when it's, when I've applied my thing, whatever situation I'm in and I'm applying whatever that situation is in the way I hope to be wise, like on the other end of it, I want people to feel loved and God to be glorified and all of those things. So it's just, mm -hmm. anyway, I, so I think that's right. That you're constantly like pulling things together. Yeah. Anyway, um, I know that we're almost out of time and there's a couple, um, I want to make sure and ask you too, on a much lighter note than all of this, which I appreciate you um, wrestling with this with me. Cause I think that, um, like I said, I feel like certainly as a staff, we've talked a lot as a pastoral staff, we've talked a lot about just the different seasons people are in and, um, and there's with all of the things that are going on. And so I just, I really appreciate you helping us think through that in a way that's really faithful and interesting and wise too. So I appreciate that. I do want to know, um, what's interesting to you on a much, much lighter note. So what are you, what are you either reading or doing or what's interesting to Jeff Myers right now? Well, so I watched, um, some of the PGA championship yesterday, which went into, um, you know, extra holes. They had a three-hole playoff with Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris, and which was really, really fun. And um, I love golf. I'm a terrible golfer, so it makes me really appreciate the excellence and how these guys can um, execute uh, in a way what they want to do under high-stakes pressure mm. um, is just remarkable. And you know, honestly, Lindsay, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, Scottish Presbyterians invented the game of golf, and to me. I think there's maybe, I don't know, man, but I mean, golf may be the most kind of reformed Presbyterian sport, like <laughs> as far as like, as like an image of what the life is about. Yeah. It's very yeah. hard to be good. Um, usually if you are good, it's by grace alone. Um, uh, you, you know, trying harder often makes things worse. Um, you know, when you it's do all very decent and in order and uh, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a thousand ways to be wrong and only a very few <laughs> to be right. Um, and that, and I think, and honestly, sometimes in golf, one of the things I learn and these guys is they get really good. They're very good at playing defense. They, they say, okay, this is, 
I need to set myself up for my next shot, okay? And I need to prevent um, the downside. I need to minimize my risk. So I'm gonna hit it here so that my next shot, I have a better shot. Because if I get too aggressive or try too much, um, that's not a wise move because it's gonna set me up for too much risk in the future. And so I just think that there's a lot um, of wisdom in golf. And I just, I really love watching people who are excellent at it. So that was really fun yesterday. Oh, very fun. I know I, we had a, a session meeting last night. And so I came home and Scott tried to tell me all the golf things that had happened while I was gone. And I understood none of it. And I was like, okay, well, thanks for sharing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, don't think you're the, the only thing. wife in America that felt <laughs> that. <laughs> I know. I know. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, good. Good. Um, okay. So we are not going to have this conversation next week. We're going to um, take a little bit of a break since next week is a holiday week um, and Monday is Memorial Day. So we're encouraging people to go do something um, fun, summer, welcome summer. I don't know. But, and then we're tr still trying to decide if we're going to do these conversations with our summer sermon series. So if you are listening to this, we would love for you to send us some feedback if you want to hear it over the summer. What is our summer sermon series? That was a lot of S's. What's our summer sermon series going to be about? So we know if we want to talk more about it on Mondays. Well, it's going to be, it, the, the, the summer series title is Summer of Love. And uh, we're focusing in on passages that have to do with our vertical relationship of love of God and God's love of us, and then our horizontal relationship of our love of ourselves, but also love of one another. Um, and so that's kind of the overarching theme of the summer. It's going to be some greatest hits uh, stories that people are familiar with, but I think there'll be some, um, I think it's going to teach us a lot, hopefully, about what does it mean to experience God's love? What does that even mean? And then um, how we can love one another uh, with that love. Are we doing any Song of Solomon in this sermon series? I do not think so. That was, <laughs> I'll leave that up to you. That would definitely be a passage that you would assign to an associate pastor. I am certain of that. <laughs> that would be tricky. <laughs> yeah, I think we're actually, we're pretty much staying in the New Testament. So that was one okay. of the things. So we're going to stay. We spent a lot of time in the Old Testament recently. So we're going to move to the New Testament. Right, right, right. Good. Okay, Jeff, well, um, oh, wait, hold on. A little chat just popped up. Uh, so I guess Irish Catholics invented football. <laughs> <laughs> I'm less informed about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So um, thank you, Jeff, for this, for uh, all of your, certainly your wisdom that you shared, but just so much knowledge to your just always have so much really helpful um, stuff for us to think through. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate you and uh, everybody have a happy Memorial Day weekend and we'll see you soon. <laughs>